I said, God damn, what a rush. Hello, my name is Will, and this is Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world that doesn't mind shooting at the thermonuclear weapons. Now, John Travolta has had one of the most up-and-down careers of any Hollywood star, catapulted to fame in the 70s by iconic roles in Saturday Night Fever and Grease, his career fizzled away in the 80s with a string of catastrophic film choices. He was rescued from obscurity and the indignity of Look Who's Talking sequels by Quentin Tarantino and his career-reviving turn in Pulp Fiction. That Travolta subsequently cocked it all up with that monument to artistic hubris battlefield earth is proof that some people never learn the lessons of their own life. However, the film we're looking at on this show is one from the Brill Cream Disco Dancers 90s renaissance, the 1996 action movie Broken Arrow. To help me review the film, I'm joined by a lady whose presence on a podcast is a sure sign of a class four strategic theatre emergency. With me is Jeanette Ward from the Mundane Adventures of a Fangirl. How are you doing, Jeanette? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. No, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I think we've talked on some uh, other shows before, I think most notably the Lambcast. So it's nice to, uh, to have you here on Exploding Helicopter all to myself. <laughs> it is a thrill for me. <laughs> Well, let's hope you still think so at the uh, at the end of the show. Now, uh, <laughs> now, uh, you know, obviously, we are both uh, both movie fans, and um, I like to uh, extend my love of movies to my own home. And I've, uh, you know, I've got a small collection, uh, a sort of ever expanding collection, really, of uh, of original film posters up round my house, decorating my home. But uh, you've t- gone down a slightly different route, and uh, you've actually chosen to decorate your own body with a <laughs> with a series of movie inspired tattoos. So yeah, could you uh, tell me about the latest one that you got this week? Yes, that is correct. Oh my goodness, I, I did wonder where you were going with that for a moment, but uh, yes, I uh, Star Wars is my favorite, which is not really a surprise to anyone who knows me, and and of that Empire Strikes Back in particular. But I I tended to like the prequels more than. Um, most. <laughs> I, I'm real boring. I like the politics. I like learning how Palpatine palpatined the Senate into doing exactly <laughs> what he wanted to the point where I have started to use that as a verb in, in other <laughs> situations. Um, I really enjoyed all the, the stories, the books that were written during the prequel era uh, that were part of that extended universe that then J.J. Abrams kind of stepped in and wiped away, but were brought back into the fold by Dave Filoni in the animated Clone Wars series. We're to a point now where we have Star Wars fans making Star Wars stuff, and I think Filoni took the opportunity to, well, everything he did was canon because approved by Lucas, to the point where Katie Lucas was writing on a number of episodes. He, he brought in a lot of those old characters who we thought would never see the light of day, and incorporated them into both the Clone Wars and the Rebel series. So I have um, a wrap on my upper left thigh so that, you know, it's still business appropriate when I wear uh, a business appropriate length skirt. Uh, a wrap of characters, villains that are all a little more obscure. I do have Darth Maul, but then it goes, I've got a Savage Press and a Mother Talzin and um, Darth Bane and Grand Admiral Thrawn, who I got before his appearance in Rebels. Uh, I have a Dasage Ventress, who's my favorite, and... Uh, Prince Zizor, who, while never appearing in either of the animated series, was mentioned. And there was a Feline, even though it wasn't him. There was one in there. And I I just got added (laughs) uh, an Aura Singh, who was name-dropped in the Solo movie. So I figured, well, this is the appropriate time to get her added in. But uh, it was on my inner thigh. And I will, just for anyone who might be thinking about this, uh, the inner thigh is uh, tougher 
to get done than some of the other locations. Like I had no issues with the outside of the thigh, the front of the thigh. That was all fine, well and good. But man, it, it did make me walk like an old timey cowboy for a couple of days. But uh, I'm, I'm healing nicely. Ooh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. But with your prequels inspired tattoos, I mean, do you do you find yourself explaining to people, look, it's not because of the films, it's because of the books and, <laughs> and, and the spin-off cartoon series? Well, the the reality is because the characters are a little more obscure, anyone who recognizes them knows exactly why and where they came from. So they kind of, if you recognize them, you share my passion for those stories, which is kind of fun i enjoy that piece of it now are you though not a little bit concerned that uh you know with george lucas's penchant for for going back and uh <laughs> you know rejigging you know the uh the films that he's worked on are you not a little bit worried that uh you know some of these characters are going to be either airbrushed out of uh out of existence or they're going to be kind of radically uh transformed in some you know future new edition of uh the uh, prequel movies that's that's always a possibility with his uh, tendencies to <laughs> go back and rework. I, you know, if they're his property, so I guess he has the right to believe they're never fully finished. But man, wouldn't he just like to continue to enjoy his retirement, working in his garage, and <laughs> letting letting his wife earn all the money? You know, she's she's the power player now. So just, uh, I I think I'm good where I'm at. Although, you know, I do want to, I do have a lightsaber on my spine that is <laughs> turned on. Um, <laughs> I would like to add to that on my back and kind of add a couple of AT-AT walkers and maybe, you know, the power generator, shield generator, a couple of tauntauns, maybe some snow troopers. So I have more more space to fill, I guess. I am amazed. Well, let's <laughs> let's talk about a subject matter closer to my heart, and that is one of exploding helicopters. And, uh, you know, I always like to ask new guests on this show what they think about uh, my favourite uh, action movie uh, trope. So, uh, yeah, Jeanette, I wondered what, uh, you know, what do you make of uh, exploding helicopters if you make anything of them? <laughs> I, ironically, it is something I had thought about before. I, <laughs> I'm so I relieved. Love... Yes, I, I love old – and old is maybe not the right word, but the, the 80s, typical 80s uh, action flicks. You know, I, I really enjoy those. Super fun, super clear. Not a ton of story. You don't need it. You got a good guy. You got a bad guy. They're in opposed, uh, and then you end up with some explosions uh, and a resolution. Usually one of the things that's exploding is a helicopter. I don't know if maybe helicopters were particularly inexpensive during that time, but man, it sure does seem to happen a lot. Um, and I absolutely remember this movie in particular, going to see it with a friend of mine, walking out afterwards and saying, commenting on the excessive amount of helicopters that explode <laughs> in this movie. They, it is, I remember making the joke of they must have bought them in bulk because there are so many helicopters that blow up in this movie in particular. I'm so relieved and you're on the right if you found that super fun you are on the right podcast <laughs> well I think uh, we better get stuck into a broken arrow so take it away trailer man they are America's first line of defense best of friends Sorry, Captain. snap of the earth here we go fierce competitors very nicely done almost as good as me ready to protect our nation against any threat carrying the nukes you love having the power of god at your fingertips not tonight buddy but what if the enemy is one of them what the hell are you doing May 
Major Vic Deacons and Captain Riley Hale are pilots in the United States Air Force. They're assigned to a secret exercise to fly a stealth bomber with two live nuclear bombs on board. It should be a routine training exercise, but Deacon steals the nukes so that he can blackmail the US government out of millions of dollars. It then falls to Captain Hale to go up against his old friend to try and stop the plot. John Travolta takes the lead role as Vic Deacons, while everybody's favourite Jack Nicholson impersonator, Christian Slater, <laughs> stars as Riley Hale. Samantha Mathis also has a major role. She plays a park ranger who teams up with Slater to help save the day. The supporting cast includes Delroy Lindo, Bob Gunton, Kurtwood Smith and footballer turned thespian Howie Long. The film was directed by John Woo in what was his second Hollywood film after his run of Hong Kong classics. The script was written by Graham Yost, who counts among his credits screenplays for Speed, Hard Rain, as well as creating the TV series Justified. Broken Arrow was pretty successful at the box office, grossing $150 million worldwide, making it one of the top 20 grossing films of the year. Broken Arrow has a rating of 6 out of 10 on IMDb and a similar uh, user rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But let's find out what uh, Jeanette really thinks of uh, Broken Arrow. To hell with everybody else's opinion. Jeanette, what do you That's make right. of this? Only mine matters. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoy this movie. I, I think it's a pretty high-level action movie. It, it maintains a sense of fun about it while still having a, a stakes. You know, it, the the plot does matter. I, I enjoy an action movie where where the storyline is clear, not overly complicated. You know, the, you get a lot of action movies these days where, with double and triple crosses. This one is very straightforward. You got two buddies who start off in a in a very uh, woo esque <laughs> boxing match at the beginning of the movie and the boxing match is strictly character development there's no other reason for that it's just to let you know what the one dude is what the other dude is and their relationship to one another i like that setup it's clean it's simple deke steals the weapons hale wants to stop him the entire movie ends up being a bit of a chase uh while hale tries to stop deke from not only collecting these weapons but um setting one off and and selling them in terms of dropping his military career and turning against the United States. It's 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 really well done. It's a simple story, but it's elevated by the setting, by the set pieces, and by the characters. And I, I think this movie does really well, and it's got a great cast. I, sometimes with an action movie like this, you, you get the majority of the cast understanding the tone and playing along, and then one guy who seems to be in a completely different movie. <laughs> and I feel like even tone-wise everybody's on the same page it works out great the the setting again in either utah or arizona the desert is beautiful and and used to enhance the story the multiple action sequences are wonderful the stunts are great i really noticed that going back last night and watching it again some of these stunts are phenomenal there's a fall off like a train bridge that's really great uh, the hand-to-hand sequences are phenomenal. Again, so many explosions. They, every form of transportation is used in this movie, with the exception of maybe some horseback riding. This You've got uh, planes, trains, <laughs> automobiles, both trucks and cars, and the occasional Hummer. There's even a boat sequence, and just about every one of those methods of transportation explodes at some point. So really, this movie's got it all. Yeah, I mean, I'm 
definitely uh, kind of on the same page to you because uh, I'm a bit surprised by this film's rating on IMDb because I kind of think six out of ten is a bit uh, it's a bit low really I mean I don't really yeah. understand kind of why you would um, be sort of rating this movie sort of down in that kind of region because I think this has got everything that you want from an action movie it's it's yeah. really it's really entertaining and like you were touching upon in what you said um, I think the tone of it has got a really playful tone and you know you kind of get two types of action movie you get your sort of gritty type of action movies where where they're kind of trying for something a little bit more sort of authentic and real, you know, kind of like the Bourne movies being kind of a good example of that. You know, whereas this one is a bit more exaggerated and, you know, you've got over-the-top performances, you've got an absolute ton of explosions. What's not to enjoy? And I I completely agree with the point that you were making about everybody being on the same page and working in the same direction on this movie because I think the, the directing, the performances, the dialogue, the music, they're all working together to create this playful, slightly exaggerated, outlandish type of, of movie. And it's one that you go into, just watch and enjoy, and you're just there to be entertained. You're not there to kind of watch a documentary. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel like for me in particular, and I think this happens more and more as I get older, I don't want to see an action movie that is a gritty, realistic portrayal of a situation. No, listen, I'm going to the movies to escape. Give me something fun and a little more lighthearted. Just entertain me for a couple hours and I'm good. Well, let's talk about the style of this movie, because, you know, John Woo is one of the most distinctive directors that uh, the action uh, world has has seen certainly over the last 30 years and mm-hmm. in this movie he's uh, you know this is a kind of big budget um hollywood movie he'd obviously done the uh, hard target with jean-claude van damme previous to this and in it we get to see him you know reprising some of the patent moves and style that he patented in his uh, hollywood in his hong kong movie so we get to see people diving through the air in slow motion while shooting uh, two guns at the same time yes. but I, I also think though that um in this particular movie there's quite a strong sort of spaghetti western type feel and mm-hmm. you know i think that is played that you know he uses the setting in this movie to to emphasize that so i wondered what you made of of the style here and the the, the sort of the mashup of uh, john woo and sergio leone type westerns <laughs> Yeah, I, it's kind of interesting. I wonder if maybe he let the setting guide pieces of that, because uh, to be fair, though, if you watch some of his other action movies now, I I remember going to see Hard Target and being kind of blown away, because at that point, unless you were one of the small group, he certainly had a dedicated group of fans here in the States already who were familiar with his Hong Kong movies, I think Hard Boiled and The Killer, all the Chow Yun Fat movies, like Chow Yun Fat was his um muse for quite a while. But uh, Hard Target for me was my first exposure to John Woo, and you absolutely while watching that movie you could come up with a list like check boxes of things that are john woo typical things and then they show up in all his movies the super slow-mo the uh, hero and the villain talking to one another through either a wall or some sort of split screen device where they can't see one another the explosions the great hand-to-hand combat sequences yes the diving in slow motion with two guns shooting at one another for <laughs> sure um and also birds or doves of some sort which there weren't any broken arrow which is strange but i do feel like Hard Target in particular is one where the John Woo was turned like all the way up to maybe nine or ten. And this one, you feel like the Woo was maybe at seven. <laughs> I, it's um, It feels like as he progressed in terms of making American movies, I feel like with Hard Target, they kind of let him do whatever he wanted. Like this, this guy is very established in Hong Kong. Let's give him free reign. 
A. And to be fair, that one is a little more of a B movie, mm. um, just in terms of it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, and it's great. It's super entertaining. It was kind of my, I won't say introduction to Arnold Vosloo, because uh, he was on the Red Shoe Diaries prior to this. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were going to get a Red Shoe Diaries reference, but there you go. I, I, I love that. I, I, I love that. I love that show. I don't know if that says... <laughs> Do you remember the one with Arnold Vosloo? I, I, don't, I don't know, but I'm really struggling to picture Arnold Vosloo in a sort of erotic drama. <laughs> he played a, an office worker who was having kind of a window-to-window romance via a fax machine and a woman in another office building where they were both in a room with a fax machine and then they could see this is how old old it is there was a fax machine they could see each other's windows and they would like fax back and forth things like take off your shirt and and do this kind of stuff man i love okay anyway so moving on If you haven't seen that, go ahead and look up Red Shoe Diaries and watch some <laughs> But he, he kind of dominated in a movie that has Jean-Claude Van Damme, Yancey Butler, and Lance Henriksen, who, man, one of the great cinema villains in terms of action movies. But Arnold Vosloo manages to really elevate his henchman role in that. But again, you know, Wu was kind of given free reign, like, here, do what you want. I feel like by the time he got to Broken Arrow, the studios were stepping in and saying a little bit more of like, hey, We'd like you to rein this in a bit. Uh, now we're handing you some big-time money and some big-time people. In terms of it, this, at this point, Travolta was still a, a big draw. And I think they kind of dialed him back a bit. I, I'm shocked there were no slow-motion birds. I really am. You're, you're setting an entire movie in the American Southwest, which is mostly desert, and there's no desert birds to throw into a shot? Whatever. But um, Yeah, because yeah, you, you would have thought that of all the things the producers would put their foot down about, you know, they might say, look, we need... We need less of the two-fisted gunplay, I don't, you know, for whatever reason. But you would have thought he could sneak some, you know, sneak a few doves into this movie without uh, without anyone noticing too much. There are butterflies, so I guess maybe he replaced them with butterflies. I, it's fine. <laughs> I wanted birds. It's okay. It, it is very much. It definitely has a western feel, and it's got that vibe. And I don't think that's just the setting. I think that is kind of a woo trademark, and that your villain is clearly established, your hero is clearly established. The storyline is simple, and it's elevated by the action within. And I, I think that yeah, it has a western vibe, but it's absolutely a John Woo movie. Well, once this film gets going, you basically have two competing teams in this film. So you've got Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis as a kind of odd couple pairing who are thrown together to save the day. And you also have a small team of villains who are led by John Travolta. And for me, a lot of the pleasure is seeing how these two teams, how they, how the different characters within them interact um, and work together or not work together. But then also how the two teams kind of lock horns at various parts of this movie. And uh, yeah, I kind of wondered, you know, what you made of that, that particular aspect of the movie. Yeah, I find that really interesting. I think it's really well done. Again, that boxing sparring match at the beginning really sets up how well Hale and Deacons know one another. They're kind of able to predict what the other is going to do because they've been working together for so long. And I think that really plays into the chase aspect of the remainder of the movie. Hale knows what Deacons is going to do. Deacons knows that Hale knows what he's going to do. (laughs) And, And so it creates this 
this tension throughout, which is really entertaining. The supporting group, I the the teamwork aspect in terms of your team of heroes, your team of villains. The villains are mainly you get Travolta and then uh, Howie Long's Kelly, who is kind of his henchman, and then Bob Gunton's Money Man, who that dude plays the same role in every movie <laughs> and TV show he's in. Which I swear he just played the same role. I think it was Daredevil season two it was, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's the concerned money man who's there with the bad guys. <laughs> He's constantly worried about the fact that the the villain is not going to deliver on the money he was promised. <laughs> and so he spends the entire time arguing. But he's great at that. He and Travolta and Howie Long. And then um, there's a couple other dudes in their crew who, and again, Jackie Chan used this term once and I've never forgotten it. It's not a great term, but the stunt monkeys, the, the guys <laughs> who are actual stunt performers, stunt actors who you then cast in these other roles. Because if you don't need a, a ton of acting in air quotes done why not just have the stunt guys do it that way whenever they need to be shot or exploded or thrown off a bridge these guys are already ready to do it the minimal lines minimal acting but a ton of stunt work i think that's a great way to fill out the, your villains group and a lot of them are there just to establish travolta's leadership of said group uh, whereas he he kind of belittles them for doing stupid things yeah. like consistently shooting at the thermonuclear weapon <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, as he gets more and more agitated, his, his mouth gets closer and tighter and smaller. And then he keeps talking out of his teeth. <laughs> Stop shooting at the thermonuclear weapons. What a great character trait. Super entertaining. And then on the flip side, Slater's team, it really for the beginning is just he and Samantha Mathis's Terry, park ranger, but they eventually pick up other people who are kind of working the the problem as well. Delroy Lindo's commander who heads out in the field to help him out. Frank Wally's analyst, I guess I would say. He's kind of the Jack Ryan of this, of the, hey, I'm just an analyst. I don't belong in the field. As soon as he comes up with the idea, because originally they think it's an accident mm. and the stealth bomber has crashed by a mistake and they need to go out and find the weapons. Frank Wally's character is the one who says, hey, I think this dude is stealing these. And so they immediately they go, well, get on a plane and get out there and prove it. Why? This guy doesn't have the qualifications. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm an analyst. <laughs> Whatever. So he gets out and tries to help out too. So their team, the team of good guys built as the movie goes along, which I find interesting because they're not all on hand. I think the team of villains is all on hand once you're established who, who they are, but the, the good guys kind of assemble as the story goes at, and then kind of help out as it progresses. And I think that dynamic back and forth between them established by two leads of these groups, your Deacons and your Hale, who know each other so well, really provides very interesting back and forth between the two groups. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the fact that um, Christian Slater and John Travolta know each other, I think that really adds extra dynamic to this particular movie. And, you know, you're talking about that boxing scene that opens up the movie and it's just there for, for character development, which I think it does really well. But also, actually, that boxing element is actually woven... Um, very cleverly throughout the rest of the film because as you were saying they both because they know how each other thinks they're able to sort of second guess each other at critical moments in the film and they're using this analogy of uh, you know the alley foreman fight the rope you know and that's worked into the plot i think very well throughout the movie and then obviously the kind of the boxing element 
then comes back into the movie at the very very end when with the showdown between christian slater and john travolta and actually you know that's a kind of classic sort of trope of these action movies where the villain could shoot the hero or vice versa but then they decide you know what let's just throw down our weapons and let's you know settle this with our fists and because of that scene at the beginning it feels that that moment is a bit more earned than it is in a a lot of other movies. So I thought that that boxing element actually was was really kind of, you know, cleverly woven into the film. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to pretend this is, you know, Ingmar Bergman levels of plotting (laughs) here, but, you know. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. It's a nice theme that kind of runs throughout the whole thing. And um, I was also really impressed with the um, Samantha Mathis character in this movie because, you know, she's actually she's actually really kick ass in this. She's a really sort of, you know, spunky sidekick for for Christian Slater. And that type of female sidekick role is one that um, a lot of films can very easily get wrong. I'm kind of the one that immediately came to my mind was... uh, Indiana Jones and, and the Temple of Doom and uh, Willie, who is a <laughs> is a, just a terrible character sidekick for uh, for Harrison Widely Ford. Widely reputed to be the worst. <laughs> 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 and Kate Capshaw herself has said like that. That's not. <laughs> I wasn't thrilled with that. That's what I was told to do, and that's fine. I, I would agree. I think Samantha Mathis does a, a really great job in this. She is at no point. I'm not going to say at no point. She is not a damsel in distress, which is tough and for me in particular it's always a little hard being a fan of kind of the action movie genre in particular 80s action movies as a female because man for the most part females are throwaway in these movies <laughs> but she does a great job of establishing like she she tells slater i'm here to help you out i'm going where you go i'm going to get this taken care of you know and she really makes an effort to be there through the entire movie she's action capable she has some fight sequences that are great the one in particular with her <laughs> on the train where she busts in and finds the guy working on the bomb and she tries to sneak up on him. And he goes into this whole mm. deal about how I bet you thought I was a computer nerd. I'm actually a Navy SEAL. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And as she, he's uh, talking, <laughs> she just picks up a hammer, whips it at his head and kills him. Outstanding. And I think what's really good about her character is, is that at no point in this film is she ever that really sort of like weak damsel in distress type of character i mean yes there are moments in this film where she's in trouble and in danger but she never yes. sort of becomes that sort of yeah as i say wilting flower uh, that needs to be sort yeah. of there's just helpless in the face of danger the, the one <laughs> sequence that i felt was unnecessary it was when she does then get captured by travolta <laughs> i wanted to talk about this scene i wanted to talk about this <laughs> where he's insisting she push the buttons because he felt like it's ridiculous top to bottom the whole scene makes no sense but he was like i bet you'd eat a bullet rather than turn on this bomb go ahead push this button the whole scene is oddly sexualized yes which is so off-putting with travolta i i know there are people who find him attractive of both genders i don't i find him creepy and weird and he's just entirely too close to her and kind of running his gun up and down the nape of her neck and then down her arm and trying to get her to push these buttons i I did not care for that scene i didn't like it it was weird but maybe that was the point (laughs) i get i completely agree because that that scene really does leap out at you because tonally it just seems to come like from nowhere within this within this within this film 
it's so weird i don't know what they were thinking that as you say here he's running his gun all over her body in you know well you know we don't you don't i'm sure you can all guess in what particular manner and you know samantha mathis is reacting to this in in we kind of get the metaphor but samantha mathis is reacting in a way which really hammers it home and you're just thinking yes. what, what what is this all about um exactly I mean, yeah. Uh, it's it's not a double entendre. It's kind of a single entendre. <laughs> it is real shallow on the, the hidden <laughs> metaphor there. I guess the one explanation, I guess, that there could be for that scene is that, uh, and I think this is actually one of the strengths of this film, is that uh, John Travolta really seems to enjoy being a villain. Um, yes. His decision to, to basically kind of quit the US Air Force and blackmail the US government, it seems to be the best decision that he's ever made in his life because he's having an absolute blast. Yes, he he is a villain that relishes the role. <laughs> I mean, there's a scene where uh, Christian Slater says, uh, kind of says to John Travolta, oh, you know, you're out of your mind. And uh, John Travolta just says, yeah, ain't it cool? And I think that just speaks <laughs> to the fact that, you know, he is just uh, enjoying the opportunity to uh, to blow up helicopters. And, you know, he's enjoying the opportunity to actually kill somebody with his bare hands. I mean, he yeah. he bumps off Bob Gunton and um, he's, hey, you know, that's the first time I've ever killed somebody kind of with my bare hands. Yeah. And the response is, I don't see what the big deal is. <laughs> It's one of those situations where if I was thinking back, is there anyone else who could have played this role at that level? And I think, honestly, the only answer, and this is a bit ironic considering the follow-up to this is face-off in the next year, (laughs) the only replacement would have been Nicolas Cage. I think that's the (laughs) only person who could have played it at this level of evil zany and pulled it off. I think Travolta pulls this off. It is a bizarre a series of bizarre character choices but they all work well exactly as you say he is doing a lot of stuff in this movie he's a it's a very mannered performance so as you as you said earlier he's talking through gritted teeth at various moments he's always constantly sort of you know touching his his face in a, in a very sort of uh, mannered way he's he's, yeah. also, he's also sort of sniffing constantly in this movie i don't know quite know what that uh, whether that's some sort of allusion to the fact that he's off his head on cocaine um, which may kind of explain <laughs> his ex- exaggerated performance in this and in he's this doing movie. a lot of smoking but holding the cigarette very weirdly Yes, I think the idea there was that he's making um, devil horns with his uh, with his fingers. So he's yeah. I'm just going to make a very obvious reference to the devil to just reinforce if you weren't quite <laughs> if you weren't quite certain that I was an evil character, I'm just going to kind of throw that in there as well. Man, he he does make it watchable. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, let's um, talk about the uh, the action scenes in this movie. As we've already mentioned, there's there's an absolute ton of explosions uh, in this film. Um, you know, what for you were kind of the standout action sequences here? The um, chase sequence in which Terry and Hale have to get onto the Hummers where they've found Deacons and mm. crew. Super great. You get kind of an old school uh, car chase deal with two Hummers and, and Hale even gets the moment of being dragged behind one and then running between them and then jumping up, catching a gun, firing back <laughs> and it's right there. Uh, he, he gets the old pull out the gas can, strap a flare to it, throw it at the car behind him to blow it up. Great sequence there. The very first helicopter explosion. And I don't think it's the EMP when there's one before. Yeah. How many (laughs) helicopter crashes are a result of the pilot getting shot and then falling forward onto the stick? I feel like almost half. 
<laughs> because that happens and the, the helicopter immediately pitches forward, slams into the ground, blows up, and then you have a hero who's about to be sliced by the rotors. Every single helicopter trope in one. And that's just the first of four helicopter explosions in this movie. <laughs> Well, let's um, talk about uh, some of the actors in this movie. We've already talked about John Travolta and how he gives uh, a fabulous, uh, you know, over-the-top performance in this movie. Um, in terms of the rest of the cast, which is actually pretty deep in this movie, was there uh, anybody else that, you know, stood out for you uh, in this movie? I, I love Delroy Lindo. I always have. I think he <laughs> excels at playing the exasperated authority figure. Like, like, he's tired of all of your nonsense. He has a job to do. He's got stuff to... <laughs> But man, you're rolling in here trying to explain to him what a rope-a-dope is. And he's like, I know what the <laughs> rope-a-dope is. What are you trying to say? I, I just love Delroy Lindo. This and uh, similar to the role he plays in Gone in 60 Seconds, which is fantastic. Mm. Again, kind of the cop who's just, he's tired of this. He's tired of <laughs> Nicolas Cage and his cars <laughs> and his nonsense. Um, on the like Danny Glover scale of being too old for this uh, stuff, uh, he kind of takes that to another level of, like, he's not only tired of it, he, he's bored. He has other things to be doing. I, I think it's worth mentioning Howie Long, who who does a good job for a, a football player that they stick in a movie. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think Howie Long is great in this. He's super fun. He had a, a movie which he led after this called Firestorm. I think it was Firestorm, uh, where he played a firefighter. Um, he's He's kind of... He starts out as one of the nest operatives trying to chase down the, the nukes, and then you find out he's a turncoat. He's actually helping Deacon steal them. Uh, his character was supposed to be killed off fairly early on, and then when the Fox executives saw how good he was and how entertaining he was, they they, they commanded he be kept around for the rest <laughs> which is hilarious on multiple <laughs> levels. But he does a fine job. Like, you know, it's... it's. I suspect that may be the only time in his career where producers said, we need more Howie Long in we this movie. We need more Howie Long in this movie. Yeah, I, he, um, I think Howie Long might be a, a hidden gem in this movie. And what do you think of uh, Christian Slater in this movie? Oh, yeah, we haven't really talked about Christian Slater. He's very good. Christian Slater is, you know, was kind of those late late 90s heartthrob guy. Like, I enjoyed Heather's. Uh, Pump Up the Volume was entertaining. Gleaming in the Cube, always one of my favorites. And, and <laughs> Cuffs, which is easily one of the most entertaining movies. Uh, he does a great job in this. You buy him as this kind of snarky, low-level pilot, you know, who's there to get the job done. He, he's constantly chastising his superior in Deacons for, look, stop bucking the rules. You know, if you were, uh, if you would just follow the rules, you've been promoted by now. You got to stop challenging the authority. He's he's trying to play it by the book. I also love the, uh, and we haven't mentioned the ongoing twenty-dollar bet back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> that boxing match at the beginning sets up this, well, I bet you 20 bucks you can't uh, take me out. I think one of the best parts of uh, Hale's character is he says, no, here, you take the 20 bucks. And Deacons tries to come back, well, oh, I don't I don't want it if you didn't commit 100% to the fight. And Hale's response is, no, 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 it's yours. I literally took it out of your pocket earlier. I'm trying to pay you with your money. It kind of establishes everything you need to know about this character. He will do because Deacon's main contention is that Hale won't take it all the way, won't mm. commit 100 percent, won't see the challenge to the end. And the reality is that Hale will, but will find a smarter way to do it. And I really like that aspect of this. I think Christian Slater was a great choice. Again, in trying to think, like, who else could have played this role? There's a couple of possibilities, but I really like Christian Slater in this. It's a little out of character for him, but he does a good job. 
Right, well, I think uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, we are going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. He brings the popcorn. She brings the roses. <sighs> Subject Cinema, a tasty new film topic each week with a side order of film reviews. Yum. T.C. Kirkham. But I'm Jim. Kim Brown. What? Over half a million listeners, and you could be the next one. Subjectcinema.com. Real movies for real people. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. And boy, do we have a lot of it to look at. There are four, yes, four chopper fireballs to survey. The first one occurs when Christian Slater shoots dead the pilot of a pursuing helicopter. It crashes to the ground, nose first, before flipping over in a weird sort of forward roll. Number two sees a friendly helicopter brought down by the electromagnetic pulse from one of the exploding nuclear warheads. The third happens when a pilot... For unexplained reasons, flies straight into a cliff base. And the I wrote that down. <laughs> Literally <laughs> flies into the tunnel overpass. Yeah, definite potential for a Darwin Award winner there with uh, with that pilot, I think. But uh, yeah, the last uh, helicopter explosion, the fourth one, is when one of the villains tries to start the engine of a helicopter that's been sabotaged by Christian Slater. And as he uh, starts the engine, they kind of the burst uh, fuel lines cause a massive ignition and the helicopter explodes in a huge fireball. So, uh, Jeanette, what did you make of uh, all of this uh, exploding helicopter action on display? I, I, boy, it's great. All of them are very entertaining. I, that last one, you know what? Let me come back to the last one. Let me start with the first one. They, God, and, and I hope you would have this already, but if you haven't, maybe you're, maybe you should start just an Excel table of like the exploding helicopters and movies and the method of explosion. I, I am very curious as to what percentage of helicopter explosions and movies are caused by shooting the pilot and the pilot falling forward onto the <laughs> stick, crashing the helicopter. I feel like I've seen that a hundred times at least. It's very common. And then the someone almost getting chopped by the rotors, <laughs> for sure. The second one is great because the helicopter simply shuts down in midair and falls to the ground in an explosion. The third one, I, I don't... And I was wondering, well, is it because the... Uh, <laughs> the 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 pilot was killed before because the train is about to go through a tunnel and i was like well did the pilot get shot and that's why he just flies right into the tunnel or well, i think delroy lindo's been shot but it's and, not and clear that the pilot has but... yeah it, it literally flies into a wall which is not something you see uh regularly so i would assume <laughs> That on the list of uh, top 10 helicopter methods of explosion in movies, flying directly into a wall is probably low, <laughs> low on the list. But yeah, he flies right into a wall and that kind of eliminates that. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the exploding helicopters in this movie are, you know, oh, man, there, there are so many of them and they are all so good. I mean, they all... All of the pyrotechnics here are absolutely fabulous. I don't think you can yeah, say yeah. that you are shortchanged on the uh, the size of the uh, the fireballs that you see here. I love the ingenuity that is on display. That first helicopter, the way that um, it crashes into the ground and then flips over and then potentially uh, is you know about to slice up Samantha Mathis with the kind of the tail rotor that is 
coming yeah. over the top towards her that is uh you know that is a great bit of uh, action uh, choreography and um you know i think you have one of the uh you know the all-time great exploding helicopter payoff lines here which is uh, you know following that second helicopter when uh, the uh, that which crashes into the ground following the uh, emp pulse and you have uh, john travolta you know watches that sequence and just uh, you know just you can see how much he is enjoying it and just it utters the immortal line you know i said god damn what a rush you know yeah, here followed is up by a how it longs you the man <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, one of the great, uh, one of the great uh, exploding helicopter payoff lines here. And, it's uh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I, mean... I will say though, boy, when you're <laughs> because the first helicopter crash, Samantha Mathis, it, it narrowly escapes being chopped by the rotors, and you think to yourself, oh man, we almost got to see someone chopped by rotors. So it's a good thing we. <laughs> no, later on, <laughs> there is a dude who gets chopped by helicopter rotors. So don't worry, it, it is in the movie. Yeah, and if you are a a, a particular fan of, of people being um, dismembered by um, helicopter rotors, um, I don't. I, I have this on good authority that that is the first time that somebody's torso is abused by uh, helicopter rotors. Apparently, there have been there were plenty of previous beheadings uh, via helicopter rotors, but that is the uh, the first time that you see somebody uh, helicopter rotors. Um, used to uh, punish somebody's torso but uh... i you know normally you see they either kind of get or it happens off screen you know you get a decapitation or you get a uh <laughs> vaporization where it's just a red <laughs> mist that's left i've seen that happen but no this is a dude who takes like two to three rotors to the chest ends up very bloody and then kind of falls off the train <laughs> Well, I think that just about wraps things up. Uh, Jeanette, do you want to take a, a moment to uh, to tell people about uh, your movie site and uh, where they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. You can check out my uh, movie reviews over at the Mundane Adventures of a Fangirl, which you can find at jwardadventures.blogspot.com. Uh, online, you can find me where you where you find me on all the social medias, the Instagram. I'm at jyward and twitter i'm at jeanette underscore y underscore ward um you can follow me on twitter to watch me live tweets uh with some disappointment fear the walking dead <laughs> Which, honestly it has been better as of late because they cast a couple of comedians who are doing their damnedest to save the show so uh it's been better but it's still kind of a struggle to get through but uh, yeah that's where you can find me um check me out let me know what you think. If you're intrigued by uh, my belly dance career, which, as a side <laughs> note, you can uh, check out my belly dance troupe at tamarindtribalbellydance.com. We will be in various locations all next year. We will be at ATS Reunion in Phoenix in January. We are performing in Germany in May and I believe also Budapest, but I don't have a date for that one. <laughs> wow. Taking it global. I like That's it. That's right. All right. Well, uh, whatever you do, uh, make sure you go and uh, check out the Exploding Helicopter website. As always, remember what we do here at this uh, at Exploding Helicopter is top secret. So the last thing we want you to do is casually spread the word. So whatever you do, don't tweet us, don't like us on Facebook. And for pity's sake, don't tell anyone about what we're doing. We'll be back <laughs> soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. How many times do I have to say it? Please don't shoot the nuclear weapons.